Friendless is a proud member of the Saskatchewan Podcast Network, which is sponsored in part by Connexus Credit Union and Direct West. Well, hello there, sweeties. It's me, your host, James Avramenko, and this is Friendless, the only podcast that tries to teach you how to be a better friend by showing you how to lose every friend you've ever made. This week I have on the show podcast professor Meg Wilcox. Meg and I discuss navigating the CBC, province hopping, physical copies of poetry, and so much more. Meg's an incredible guest and you're going to love listening to her, but don't take my word for it. Let's dive right in. So lean back, get comfy, and enjoy my interview with Meg Wilcox here on Friendless. Uh, yeah, it's 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 one of those funny things that like, I mean, you know, when I was preparing for the episode, I realized we've only met once. Like we've yeah. literally only hung out one time. Now that time was amazing. And it that, was really like, good. Right. And 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 it was such a beautiful, you know, your 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 partner Anton introduced us. And what what was so great for me was that it was like it wasn't just like a an hour meet and gone. We like we spent like the better part of a day together. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I just got into it. Um, but I'd like to hear from your side, you know, as we were saying before recording, um, the, the data pool is maybe short or, or shallow on, on this question, but I'm curious to hear uh, what your most vivid memory of our friendship is. Well, yeah, as you said, we only met once. You were in town for some some theater work, and uh, and Anton was like, "Oh, my friend James is in town. I'd heard some stories about you." And it was sort of a last minute <laughs> met up, and yes. you know, all of us had had drinks on on a rooftop patio. That bar has since changed its name. It's now a tapas place. Really, but they still have the rooftop patio. Yeah, oh, the things okay. that change in a pandemic. And this right. was pre pandemic, and yes. yeah, we had a great afternoon. We drank a bunch of beers, and a couple of other friends came and yeah, had Paige. some snacks and hung out. Yeah, Paige was there actually. Paige Paige and Zach ended up moving into the same condo building as that I have two blocks from here. So no they were our kidding. neighbors above us before we got the house, but I still see them because I'm over at the condo every once in a while. But I love uh, it. yeah. So yeah, we, we just had a good afternoon. And what what I actually most remember is you had this idea for a podcast mm -hmm. that you were telling us about and you were still trying to figure out the tech a little bit and how you yeah. wanted to go forward with it. So um, for me, I, I'd say the memory is is just drinking beers and eating snacks on the rooftop. But what's kind <laughs> of funny, like it, as I was sort of preparing for this and chatting with Anton is that um, it, it's probably partially because your online presence and also the stories that I hear through Anton. But I do feel that we are... Like, I know you better than someone I've just met once. Sure. I wouldn't say I know you well, but yeah. I would consider you a friend partially because of that connection yes. um, and that we had a really good visit, but also that we've been able to maintain, you know, like liking each other's stuff or making comments mm -hmm. about our weird Christmas outfits or things like that, you know. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> Wasn't it like there was Hercules on the in the background or something like that? There was like this great little detail you found in that photo. <laughs> I was like, this would be my Christmas tree. Why? Right? Why did I? not do this yeah i love it yeah <laughs> but that's a really interesting point and it's actually something i'm i'm it, it i will start start off by saying like it's a relief to know it, it's always a relief to know something you feel is felt reciprocated yeah. by the other person right For and sure. it's always yeah. you know and i'm somebody who you know i've talked many times about this like i'm very very internal uh, you know i might have a sort of like an outgoing personality but i'm very in my own head and i have a lot of anxiety stuff coupled with my adhd and so you know, I get one sort of one feeling outward, but then a whole other thing inward. And it's always a really big relief to be like, oh, okay, good. They do like me as much <laughs> as I like them. <laughs> you know? um, but you're mentioning something too that I've been thinking a lot about, which is this idea of, because um, it's not quite parasocial, right? You know, there's this whole thought in, in social media of, we interact with other people's content, right? Whether it's podcasts, whether it's, you know, uh, YouTube channels, and we develop these sort of one-sided friendships with them, you know, and, and we start to think because I look at you so much, you are my friend and our brain doesn't, it doesn't understand how to divide. This YouTube person doesn't know who you are just because you stare at them three hours a day, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and, but then there is this other type of friendship, which I think we're sort of in, which is that we do know each other, but, our main interactions are still digital. So it's still not quite, 
I don't know what the right word for it is, right? Like, I guess tangible is one way of putting it. But I'm curious what your thoughts are the, on that. that the asshole academic word would be liminal, is it not? In between. Yes, exactly. Between right. Spaces? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I'm wondering if you, you know, because I know a lot of your studies are are not quite in this direction per se, but are are adjacent at the very least. And I'm wondering if you, yeah, do you do you have more to expound on that? Is there is there lines of thinking? I guess uh, is what I'm asking about that. Yeah, I mean, as you said, it is interesting how people have this idea that uh, if we interact with something, uh, feeling that friendship or connection, and I mean, there are a number of people that I follow on Instagram that I refer to by first names when I only kind of yeah. know them locally, but like I see their stuff that I feel that I know them well is yeah. is significant. But I also think, um, like, like part of the interaction to it, it depends on. I'm trying to think the best way to put it. Like, I think that everything that we interact with online is bolstered by an actual in-person connection. The fact that, you know, yes. Anton will mention that he's messaged you or I'm like, oh, how are they doing? Mm -hmm. I also think things have just been buoyed a bit by the pandemic because there's no way that we wouldn't have been out to Saskatoon anyway. I love Saskatoon. I have right. any excuse to go to Saskatoon, I'll do it. So <laughs> it's uh, one of those things that I think we would have been out for a visit in person had it been a possibility, right? So Big time. Yeah. Yeah, that's so interesting. Um yeah, you know, and it's funny too. You mentioned too, you know, when we were when we met, and I was trying to because you know I had I had started this podcast, but I wasn't feeling like it was going the way I wanted it to, right? And and it was actually you who introduced me to Zoom, and I was like, "What is this? What is this platform?" And 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 you had you know you were explaining like it's yeah you know it's it's video and it does the audio and all this stuff, and uh, we had all these plans with Anton's episode to actually use zoom to sort of demonstrate the the you know the the, the power of the platform right <laughs> um but then that recording ended up getting delayed and then the pandemic hit and out of nowhere zoom became the go-to thing and i was so surprised by this like sort of shift in knowledge because it was like it was only a couple months really you know and then suddenly the whole the whole world just knew this platform is operating and, on zoom. Yeah. 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 Do you know anything about how, like what, like what marketing firm just like knocked that one out of the park? Because it was like Skype had a 15 year head start and they fumbled it, you know, they really did. I mean, it, like I think Skype in, in the purchase by Microsoft may have affected sort of how a lot, like, and that was way back, but like, I think changed a lot of it. The one thing with zoom that always struck me because I used it with some remote work that I was doing with a podcasting company is, uh, how well, like it just has a beautiful layout, right? If you're, and if you're talking yeah. with multiple people, having the option of seeing the little faces across the screen, like it's really mm -hmm. hard. I can't think of, we use Google at the university. So I've been running all my classes on Google meet, but uh, like nothing is as beautiful realistically sure. as Zoom, even if like the audio quality isn't necessarily as good as what we're recording on now on Zencaster, yeah. generally speaking, um, the, for like a video interaction and actually seeing people and being able to, they were the first ones to have reactions, right. To be able to put your hands up, yeah. To clap to do those things now all like i know google has followed up with a lot of the same features that zoom has had for a while it's mm -hmm. uh i think it just made for a, a better experience and it was free a lot of the other ones like you could get onto google hangouts but you needed the g suite if your bot or if your employers were going to be using it or things like right. that right so it makes it a little more challenging yeah yeah it's funny actually because we've we've tried using uh meets or meetup or whatever it's called the teams and they're all awful. They're all awful. I can't Teams for the life of me. It's the worst. And I don't like, I don't get it. I don't get how you can have these like trillion dollar corporation conglomerates behind you. And that is what you put out to the public. Like They're like, let's just you? keep Outlook. It doesn't yeah, need improving. Right? Like, what the hell? Like, how dare you? What is it? Oh my God. And then like, and it feels like every time they iterate, it gets worse. Like they just put out a new outlook. And one of the big features is you can't import your contacts. <laughs> so I was like, why would I use this? Oh, I'm just going to, I'm just going to start fresh. I'm just going to reset my work email. I have a personal assistant who can enter all that for me. I'll be fine. Yes. Like, what is this? You know, but. I don't know. I just like I'm 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 constantly baffled. I, I, I cannot wait for the like oral history of the tech side of the pandemic. And like I want to hear from like the CEOs of Skype. I want to hear from the marketing firm of Zoom. I want to hear from all the people who completely bungled meetups and, and Google video or, or or um you know Facebook video and all those, right? Like but but yeah. uh 
I don't even know where would you even start. I, can you find those kinds of people? Are those is that kind of information available somewhere? <laughs> it is. I, I wonder if they want to if they'd want to chat about it, right? At right. this point, except for the ones that have bungled it or the ones that are still working on it. I'm I'm sure uh, right. if you went through like comms people, like you could probably book some interviews and start to figure it out. But I think it's still. Mm-hmm early days enough that there isn't like how much distance do you have to go oh we made this mistake because of this like uh, yeah you know, we're not quite out of the pandemic yet of course right yeah i don't mean <laughs> well yeah right i mean yeah despite the fact that our two provinces are are, are telling us it's over yeah yeah right my god right yeah yeah it's funny actually that always makes me think of a quote i, I wish i could remember who it was it was a it was a historian who was being asked um what effects did the French Revolution have on our current culture today? And he was mm. like, oh, it's far too soon to tell. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, what he was trying to explain was this idea of, like, you know, our concept of past and our concept of distance and cultural ramifications is so small. It's such a tiny sample size so that even the things that we think are, you know, decades, centuries ago and couldn't possibly affect us, right? It's like they continue to have deep reverberations, you know, and and you're spot on. You're absolutely right. Yeah, we're not even out of it. And I'm like, let's let's tell the history of it, you know? No, but I think it'll be, there's so many things that are going to be analyzed in context of the pandemic down the line. Yeah. And I think the, yeah. the use of tech and the use of remote communication is, is going to be one of the biggest ones. And I know uh, it's something that I've just kind of been in the thick of for the past year teaching remotely, right? Like teaching Mm -hmm. university courses remotely and trying to figure out how to address that. But to be fair, most of us are just thinking about it from very like a mercenary perspective, right? Like how do we get in? How do we do it? How do we make it not suck? And how do we figure, figure out the next steps? So. Yeah. So, okay. So this is actually a big chunk of what I kind of want to talk to you about um, because and we'll we'll kind of bounce around. I feel like this isn't going to be a very straight line story here. And, and they never and forgive, are. It's okay. Right? You know. But <laughs> I just want to I want to forewarn, like, forgive my laser braining as I sort of like, oh, but this, you know. Um, but so so you've spent the last year teaching remotely, as you've talked about, and 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 I and I, when I met you, and you know, and continue to be involved with uh, podcasting, you know, journalism, and and a lot of audio based media, and if that's sort of where we let's say we sort of round the story out, if that's where we kind of end up and, and expand on when we get to, um, what kind of gets you into that world? Because um, you're also somebody, I, I got to say, and I, and I think I'll actually stop here and just say real quick, like, thank you for being a friend who isn't in theater because <laughs> <laughs> I feel like my, my, my entire show is secretly like a subtweet to the theater culture because like, everyone is in theater and it's always like so what got you into acting you know and and i feel like i finally have a chance to be like so what got you into something that wasn't, wasn't theater <laughs> oh it's though it's funny because i'd say one of uh the the touch points for anton and i is that we both do audio work from different sides i remember when he was right. showing me sort of the back end of uh giant a show that he worked in uh, worked mm-hmm. on a, at least a couple of years ago and he was showing me the sound setup and i was nerding out over it but i remember looking at something and like just the clip the audio clip and it was for like a fart sound that you know uh, <laughs> that uh you know he the andre w- was doing it was like a night where he was drunk and, and anyhow there was a yeah. fart sound and the I legendary at, six second fart or whatever yes that <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly on the little chessboard <laughs> with the magnets and uh but i remember looking at it at the at where he fired it and he showed me how it was all working and i said oh so you can highlight and isolate single clips and he's like what do you mean and i was like well that sound sound effect is clearly a double fart and, and he's like you're right. It is <laughs> like so. It's like those little <laughs> moments where things like cross over and 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 work well. But um, I love it. Yeah, for me, audio. I mean, I guess it came through journalism school. I always had an interest in communication and, and mm. storytelling specifically. So after high school, I went on exchange to Thailand for a year, wow. and uh, went to school not for credit. Lived with different families, learned to speak the language, all that kind of stuff. I was up in Udon Thani, so in the north, the northwest of the country. No, yeah. Northeast. I understand how maps work. I was have to do the <laughs> never eat shredded wheat. I was, yeah. <laughs> That's what I was, you saw me pointing, yeah. Um, and, and for me, the one thing I discovered, like I felt, on one hand, I loved that I was doing the exchange. On the other hand, I saw all my friends who went straight to university and feeling like I'd missed out a bit. 
And what I started doing when I was on exchange was like, I wrote every day. I had a journal that I was writing in. That's partly how I was practicing my tie and stuff. Mm -hmm. But I also started writing essays for my other like exchange student friends about like the weird intricacies of Thai culture, like experiences that we had being, you know, 18 year old white kids living in like small towns in Thailand kind of thing. And and I realized that that's what I I wanted to do on some level. So I ended up doing my undergrad in communications, which uh, I did it in media theory. So it was kind of, kind of adjacent to what I'm doing now. Uh, But I always loved working with new media in high school I had a chance to do some e-zines and like you know develop my own websites and so always was kind of interested on the tech side of it gotcha. when I uh, I ended up working for a year in nonprofit uh, with the uh, encounters with Canada program it's like a mm-hmm. an exchange program for kids around uh, around the country unfortunately uh, ended up uh, going down or closing down with the pandemic oh, but uh, oh that recent yeah. too oh that's yeah nice. it was I think it was already there were going to be some change I don't have any in, in inside knowledge at all I think there sure, were going to be some yeah. changes anyways it was a program that was very designed for the 70s and 80s of Canada like they really thought that bilingualism <laughs> was still the biggest issue not yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, like okay. racism or yeah. <laughs> other elements um <laughs> But uh, but I, I worked for them for a year, basically running an interactive website for high school students from around the country and right. did some like uh, programming for them around uh, model parliaments and things like that, and po- political stuff. And so I already worked a lot sort of on the communications media side of things, but I, I'd always kind of had an interest in journalism. And mm-hmm. so I was accepted to Carleton's Master of Journalism program kind of thinking I wanted to get into radio. Like that was in the back of my mind. I'm like, we'll see if I change my mind. They, we have to learn it all and practice it all. But as soon as I got into radio, like I, I almost dropped out of journalism school my first semester because it was all writing and it was all daily reporting. And I was like, this, this is horrible. I'm tired of turning around court stories same day as you're trying to learn these new writing systems and all that stuff. But then I got into radio and I was like, no, this is, this is my jam. So, and especially with like, I mean, uh, I think it was t- uh, Tetsuro Shigematsu was on the show uh, a couple years ago, and 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 he points out the two great media's of Canada are are books and radio, and uh, and like what a you know I mean yeah it, what a beautiful medium to to jump into right. And yeah, there, I mean, there's so many things that are great about it. What I love about radio is that, uh, or audio is you normally work with smaller teams. So yeah. uh, people like me who love having a lot of control over our content, like I've never just been a host. I've always been a host producer or working yes. on it on some level. I like that my gear is not heavy because I am lazy. And one of the years <laughs> I was doing video for for school, oh man, the... Those the elevator bricks. was dead like oh. for, for the whole semester. It was winter and we were on the sixth floor and we had to haul oh. that gear up six flights of stairs oh. and it sucked. And you're not just bringing, you're not just bringing the camera, right? No, you're, there were lighting then, kits right? and everything oh. else. And that was before they had the LED lights because apparently I'm that old, even though it was 2009 or whatever. And uh, <laughs> they so, were expensive is the thing. They couldn't they buy them yet. Yeah. No, they were so expensive. And <laughs> it was just so funny to like, for me, it's like, it was easier. I could have a bit more control in what I was doing. And I was also in a position to, yeah, haul around less gear. But what I think, you know, for me really discovered, like I discovered is that, um, radio is such a visual medium and most people don't think of audio as a visual medium, but when you think about how you interact with it, you're imagining it all in your head as if you're reading a book to bring it back to your reference to books. But you know, the idea is we could all be in a car listening to a podcast and have something different going on in our heads. We, we engage Mm -hmm. with it individually, even though it it could be a group activity, but it's very different. You know, if you're thinking of the Marshall McLuhan esque, like we're all sitting around a television, it's a, it's tribal in nature. Audio is, is extremely intimate and individual. Intimate is the perfect word for it, right? And it's like, especially, you know, especially modern where it's like, yeah, you you can be driving listening to it. And that's sort of, that was my first exposure to CBC was like driving around with my dad and listening to, you know, uh, but like, but now with podcasts, right? Like it's, it's even closer, you know, I mean, obviously we're looking into millimeters now, but it's like, it's closer than a book because it's, it's like- in your ears. Yeah, yeah, it's inside you, right? It's like whispering to your brain, you know? Yeah, like. <laughs> yeah the proximity is is really remarkable. And it's also the way that people talk now, understanding that if you're, if you're more likely to be listening on a headset, you don't need a really formal radio voice and presentation. Yeah. Right. Uh, and one of the, so there's some research that's come out that's really interesting that uh, many, many hosts uh, create sort of fake senses of, I guess we could say, intimacy with their listeners by things like swearing. 
right? Because you don't normally swear with someone unless they're a good friend of yours or you're ah. comfortable with them. So there's other ways to create a sense of uh, friendship or camaraderie, whether it's yeah, the yeah. tone you use, the language you use, and uh, and understanding that those physical elements in terms of how how the sound is, you know, consumed. Wow. I love it. Oh my God. Just, that just made my brain just go like, ring. like it's so many directions. Next I'm time like, you listen to a podcast and they swear, you're going to be like, they're manipulating me to right, like them. Right? How dare you, you fucks. <laughs> what bridges you? Because um, correct me if I'm wrong. I know you worked pretty pretty extensively in the cbc at some point right i am did I, yeah I, now is that where is where does that sort of fall in the timeline of this yeah so part of uh the degree is doing internships so i started right. with some okay. internships at at the cbc because that's always where i wanted to work there was no question yeah. for me that's where i wanted to be and yeah. uh funnily enough so there was a, an internship that i applied to the national you know like big Hell important yeah. news show and then amazing I, I did the interview and I was sure I'd bombed it. I was sick that day. I took it on a 10 minute call between my back-to-back classes. I was TAing. And one of the first questions they asked me is what's on the front of the Globe and Mail today? And I actually said, you know what? I don't know. I've been on campus since 830. I'm sorry. Yeah. So like I, I left it being like, I'm not getting this. That's fine. <laughs> so then this other like um, application or opening came up and it turned out to be Go. So the radio show is no longer around, but it was what Brent Banbury hosted before he yeah. was doing day six. And it was like, um, what's the best way to say? Just like a, an all, a variety show. There'd be mm. live musical guests. It'd be in front of an audience. There'd be games and different things. And I, I just wanted to be at the CBC so bad, even though I didn't know the show that well, I applied. Yeah. And they called me. I did well on that interview. I found out later I actually had gotten the national one. They, um, they, I guess they liked my honesty, but I could yeah. only take one and I'd already said yes to go and I was slightly heartbroken. But in the end, go was the best thing I could have done at the CBC. Uh, yeah. It was fun to work in, in a live environment to understand how you sell radio to an audience, but then you have to sell it to like the listening audience Double, as well. Yeah, For yeah. me, I always had an interest in music. And so seeing who they brought on as guests and programming music and doing all of the more entertainment sort of stuff, it, it wasn't mm -hmm. true. I mean, it was partially entertainment. There was a mix of current affairs in there too, to just see what you could do with radio beyond newscasts and straight up news. And it, yeah. at the time it was an hour and a half long show. So as you know, with the CBC, there's a news break at every hour. Mm -hmm. So they mm -hmm. actually had to plan, you know, they're figuring out. How to out, break it up. Yeah. How do you, how do you leave them with a hook that will keep yeah. someone for the other half hour after the news? So yeah, it was, yeah. uh, it was a way to think about a lot of things in radio I hadn't really gotten to do in school. And the team was fantastic. They were so much fun. And it, I think it opened me up to being able to do things other than, you know, the standard prestigious news or current affairs stuff, which, you know, yes. I, I ended up doing some work Important, in that great, as well, yeah. but it, it let me see that like there could be a lot more fun at it as well. Oh man. And you know, I got to say like, I have never had my world rocked as fundamentally as the first time I was in for a CBC interview. Because um, it's just like, they are pros, you know? Yeah. And like, and like you say, like the way everything is so timed and so structured, it's fascinating. And it, and it, and what's so cool. And it's, again, it's, it's one of these things that, I'm constantly trying to figure out how do you show this to is the word the layman, I guess, you know, like the, like just people outside of the bubble, outside of the culture. Um, you know, I think about it when it comes to art, when it comes to acting, when it comes to writing all these things, because when you encounter the art that's done, it looks so easy and it looks so simple and it looks so flawless and effortless, but it's because of how much work goes in behind it. And, That's what and, I tell my students. Yeah. yeah it's like it's, yeah. it's like when you watch, uh, what do you call it, figure skating. And yes. you're sitting on your couch, like in your underwear, eating Doritos, thinking I can do that. There's no way I can no do it. No, the fuck you but can't. <laughs> they make it look so easy. Right? Yeah. yeah. And it's because, you know, it's because these people have conditioned their bodies to know exactly what to do. Right. And 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 that goes for any kind of craft and any kind of art. And, and I think radio is a really cool one for it because like, yeah, you're listening to CBC on the radio, you're driving around and it's just... Just like you know bing bong bing you know and like it just the little shifts and it's and it flows so nicely but when you're in the studio it's it's 
terrifying. <laughs> like it's so <laughs> intense, you know, and and they're so on it, you know, and um, especially and, yeah, if you're on a live radio show, right? Most of yeah. hosting is uh, keeping an eye on the clock while sounding like you aren't. Yeah. Yes, yes, and like not sounding frantic about it. I, 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 that was the thing that gave me such a deep respect for for the hosts, and and so you know they would they would ask a question, and then they'd like be listening, but also be watching the clock, and they'd be sort of like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and they would just find these nice times to come in and very politely be like, "That's enough of that," <laughs> you know. Thank you. We're done. No, right? It's, uh, exactly. Right? If you have the hard outs, it's really tough too, right? You have a bit of flexibility yes. if you know your next guest is coming in. But if it's cutting out hard to Toronto and they're going to the news, then yeah. you, if you don't finish your sentence, you just no one hears it. So tough shit, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And and so, how long are you there with with Go? Uh, I was, I would have been there for about six weeks on that internship. Uh, mm -hmm. but it, and then I ended up going back to Kamloops where I'm from and I worked for the TV station for a while there finishing gotcha. another internship. Once I graduated, I went back to the CBC, uh, as one of their Joan Donaldson scholar, Joan Donaldson oh, okay. scholars. There we go. And, gotcha, uh, okay. so they, they hire about seven students from across the country every year for a paid internship. And so I worked in the cool. national newsroom in Ottawa and Toronto taught me, I did wow. not want to work in the national newsroom in Toronto. I couldn't Probably not Ottawa either. Oh my uh, but God, it was, what a it was good, good training, but it was it was <laughs> yeah. not for me. And then I knew I wanted to be on air. And mm -hmm. so the other one was sort of a, a production behind the scenes thing. And so I started basically just calling up uh, different stations and interviewing with different people to see if they would bring me on for a short amount of time. Mm -hmm. I, I ended up not starting at the CB, like after that internship, they were coming up on a big round of cuts and what would ultimately be, I think, three years of cuts in a row at the CBC. Wow. It was not an ideal yeah. time to be starting in 2010. <laughs> yeah, and <every> time. <laughs> yeah, it was not ideal. And now it's funny. There's articles that say, oh, wow, uh, the last decade has seen the most upheaval in, in any decade for journalism. And I'm like, yep. And that's when yeah. I started. So yeah, because Harper <laughs> fucked it. Because <laughs> like, he just completely dismantled lot, yeah. it. Ugh. Yeah, and well, and there, it was interesting just how how the CBC decided to try to chow like as soon as they saw that there were cuts coming, I think so, the way they chose to make some of those cuts didn't necessarily work out Definitely. in their favor either. Definitely. But it it so I ended up uh, I think almost everyone our year, very few stayed because they said, well, you can stay in Toronto for casual work, so unguaranteed hours. Wow. And I'm like, I have an apartment in Ottawa. I'm not going to pay to live in Toronto without any guaranteed work. So only the people that were already based in Toronto agreed to do it. And it worked out for them. But many of us went back and I ended up taking a casual job at CTV Ottawa. So I was doing gotcha. TV reporting for them. And then I stayed there. I liked it, but I, I knew I wanted to get back on the radio side. And yeah, so yeah. I ended up getting uh, sort of a sweet gig where I was doing a weekly column or a weekly piece for the Saturday morning show for CBC Ottawa. Cool. And that was a lot of fun because the host was just really open-minded like to test me out he sent me to the rehearsal of a burlesque troupe that was doing a politically oriented piece around the transit strike and it's as I'm holding out actually this microphone as I'm holding out this microphone trying to see if I can get like the sound of skin slaps from like shimmies and shakes and stuff while they're mostly yeah. naked in this karate gym where they're practicing I was like <laughs> It's like they're like this could be fun. So I, I did yeah. that for a little while until the sort of the funding for that ran out. But at the, around that time, I also got offered a job with an upstart or a media startup called iPolitics. Mm -hmm. So I I was part of the launch with iPolitics, and I ended up working there for just under a year. Gotcha. Um, it was. I liked being back on the Hill because I worked on Parliament Hill during my undergrad and I've always had an interest in Canadian politics, but the culture there was not for me. At, at the yeah. startup and on the Hill, I realized that the kind of work I wanted to be doing, I'd probably need to put in a good five to 10 years of sucking it up. And I was like, that's, right. a, that's a long time to yeah. suck it up. <laughs> well, especially for like, for, for a sort of like, it's not that you need a guarantee, but it's to like, to it's almost like on a hope and a prayer, you know, it's like, there's no real tangible progress. It's sort of like, well, maybe a slot will open up, who knows? And I guess we'll see in 10 years, maybe. <laughs> exactly. And, and I found that the, the culture around reporting was, was just really tricky for me. It felt very clicky mm -hmm. on the Hill. There's yeah. some great people there, but I, I just had a hard time with it. And so I ended up uh, going back to CBC and that's where I started sort of bouncing around to any station that would take me to do on air for a while. Mm -hmm. So I was in, I was in Ottawa for a bit. I went to Winnipeg 
Then I went back to Toronto around the launch of CBC Music and helped a bit around that launch. And then I got uh, hired for a year-long contract to go back to Ottawa, and that's where I did bandwidth. So that was my first time being a music host. Right. And and then from there, I, I mean, I bounced around a bunch. I went back to Winnipeg. I was down in Windsor for a while. Uh, I will save you the details on all of them, but I ended up out back out <laughs> west again because uh, the BAMP Center was launching a radio station. And so I was the morning show host. I was one of the music producers, and I got to go live in the mountains until they cut the funding a year later. Wow. And then wow. Calgary was sort of the nearest place to end up for a bit, but yeah, it yeah. kind of coincided with the CBC offering me some work. I was filling in on the the noon call-in show quite a bit, and then I also got a, I also got a sessional teaching job at MRU that was kind of gotcha. they'd posted it. I'd applied on a whim. I'd never been on the campus before, but I'm like, hey, a semester's worth of work is great, and if I yeah. hate it, it's just, you can do anything for four months. Right. You're free. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Might as well try it. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it turned out that I loved it. And now I'm about to start in the fall, my sixth year uh, teaching at MRU. Wow. wow. And so that's sort of like settled you down into Calgary kind of thing. It has. Well, and it helps that uh, three years ago, I was offered a tenure track position with the university. So I'm Whoa. I'm like faculty. I'm there if, if I want to stay. Well, assuming Hell I make tenure, yeah. but yeah. Right, right. What are the what are the sort of parameters of that? I, I, you know, you always hear like, ooh, tenure, ooh, yeah. it's gonna be, you know, right? you know, but Very like, fancy. what is that? I don't know what that means. You know, well, like, and what it is changes. That, what does that entail? It depends right, on course. the university, but for us, like, like I think the basic, you know, cons like consistent elements, regardless of where you are, would be that it's about four to five years, mm -hmm. and you sort of have, uh, or you have a binder or a portfolio, a dossier kind of thing that you fill out every year. There's certain things you need to do. So for me, it's a mixture of um, I need to do teaching evaluations, like have peers in my chair, department chair, people from inside and outside of my department uh, come and sit in on my classes and give me feedback. Right. I need to include student evaluations. I can choose them, but I need to have a certain number every year. Gotcha. I, I share my course outlines. It's almost like a scrapbook of like, what have you been up to in the past year? Your cool. annual report, all those types of things. Yeah, and yeah. then um, I, this year, because I'm halfway through on my year three, I also have to do uh, some reflections. So I have to write some mm. essays about, you know, how has my teaching changed? How has my scholarship changed? What have I learned? You know, and one wow. of the best ex explanations I, I heard from another prof who has tenure is she said, you know, think of it as your hero's journey as a prof. They want to see how you started, like, you know, kind of ignorant, but you've through all of yeah. this in this process and like learning and reflecting that you're, you're coming out the other end, like ready to be that associate professor instead of the wow. assistant professor. I love it. That's so exciting. And like, what an incredible, it's, it's so funny. Like, like what an incredible really journey actually, like how you're bouncing around and I, you know, it's, you're talking a lot about something that I really value. And I, and I think a lot of people are um, very tentative around, understandably, completely understandably. But I think a lot of people are tentative around just diving in and just trying it. And like you say, you can do anything for four months, you know, um, it's how I ended up in, you know, Barkerville for a summer. And, you know, it's how I, I mean, really it's how we ended up here. It was like, well, let's give it a shot. And if it works, it sticks, you know, and, and, and it's it's always I find it's always more rewarding to give it a shot than it is to like say no and then kind of wonder what could have been, you know? Yeah, um, it, for me, it's FOMO, right? It, it's, yeah. it, I make these choices because I'm afraid of not knowing what it's like. And in the case of coming to Calgary, I was offered a job or like some fill in work over the summer back in Windsor, which I loved and I have very good friends there and I think Windsor's mm -hmm. the best. But I had a moment where if I was going back to Windsor, I would have hosted the same show, the afternoon show. And I gotcha. never hosted a call in. And I kind of knew in the back of my head, if I took Windsor, as much as I'd have a great time, I would be heading into the boot or like into the studio. And I'd have a moment and think, huh, I wonder what the, the call-in show was like today. Yeah. And I was like, I don't want to wonder. I'll, yep. I'll try it out. And ultimately, what I like came to Calgary for, which was arguably the CBC work, is not why I'm staying. I haven't done any work right. with the CBC for several years now. I still have a radio show with CKUA. But for me, it's, uh, it gave me the possibility to, to try out those other things, which was really cool. Direct West is a proud partner of the Saskatchewan Podcast Network. Is marketing getting in the way of running your business? Direct West has a local expert team right here in Saskatchewan that will work with you to build your website exactly how you imagine it. Let them help you improve your online presence 
Head to directwest.com to learn more. Wellness, however you define it, is achievable. You don't even need to figure it all out yourself. Talk to Conexus. They'll give you guidance, motivation, and the push you need to reach your goals. They've got you. They're your financial partner, and they know you can achieve your very best, your financial best. Prove them right. Start right at Conexus Credit Union. Because I have such a strong memory of you figuring out Friendless as a podcast, and you were still figuring out, you know, the tech and the the focus and how you wanted to do it, and knowing that you're taking a shift this season as well and how you run it, I'm curious compared to what you thought your podcast was going to be and what you thought producing and doing a podcast, you know, two two and a half years ago would be. How has it changed? Uh, was it what you expected? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Wow. Uh, oh man, what a good question. Uh, because. No, uh, in the sense that it's like people, I think, who listen to podcasts think it's like, oh, you just hit record and then you put an intro at the top and an outro and you're done. Maybe you throw some ads in if you're lucky. And it's like, way not that at all. (laughs) That's what my Um, podcast students all think. And then by the end of the semester, they're like, ah. (laughs) Yeah, because even the ones that sound like that aren't that, you know, Um, and and so, um, and when I tried doing this, so this is where my first big stumbling block came in was when I tried to just like hit record with no plan and no, like, we're just going to wing it and I'm not going to have any structure. Like that sucks. That's boring, you know? And like, you know, I'm not somebody who, uh, I don't particularly like or subscribe to the like Joe Rogan aesthetic. I don't really like, let's just vibe for four hours, you know, like I have no interest in that. Um, I know a lot of people do more power to them, I guess, whatever. But um, when I tried doing that type of thing, it never worked for me. And uh, and so that's that's what really drove the the impetus to way, way structure it. And and only recently have I started sort of breaking out of that structure. Um, and even then only slightly, you know, because I just um, I think podcasting looks much more freeing than it actually is how about i i think that's the wrong it's not as precise as i mean it but it's like it's the wild west in a lot of ways it can be anything you can make anything you can do anything in the exact same platform on the exact same technology you can make a science fiction epic and you can do a 15 minute like show about intimacy and and sex education like it's like it's an incredible platform but um, I'm finding my work is best served with parameters and limitations. And, um, and, and so, yeah, I think when I, when I set out to just do this as a joke, uh, I had a whole other, I had one set of ideas in my mind. And then as I saw it, you know, and I, and I saw people interact with it and I saw what resonated and what didn't and what came and went. Um, yeah, it's really shifted. And I think the other element of it is because of the pandemic I have grown to really value this show and the experience of doing this show um, and the sort of, in a lot of ways, the privilege to get to host a show like this because um, it gives me a chance to break the underlying tedium and anxiety of our day with these beautiful little hours of kindness and joy and memory and nostalgia and, and, and uh, and I get to sort of celebrate connection in a really weird way. And that's really fun for my brain to like, you know, it's like it's familiar but new, you know. And so it's a fun little shift for that kind of thing, right? Um, but yeah, I, you know, I, 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 God, I could go in so many different directions with that thought because it's like, yeah, what I expected, not at all. But what it has turned into has become so much more than anything I thought it could have been. And that's really exciting, you know, and really satisfying, right? But um, yeah, does that, I don't know, is that? Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> it's it's funny. When I talk to people who start their podcast and then, you know, because I normally talk to people at the beginning if I'm hosting like how to create a podcast workshop. Yeah. Whatnot, and then some people actually go and start them, which I'm like, oh, you actually did that. That's cool. Yeah. I told you it was a lot of work, but you're doing it. That's awesome. And yeah. many of them often say they're like, it's way more work than I expected. Mm-hmm. And 
But for those that are into it, you know, there's a lot of things they get out of it they, that they hadn't really expected. I think when you're fam- and the challenge, this kind of goes back to we were talking about um, radio and understanding the work behind it. I think it's harder to understand the work behind it because you can't physically see it. Like you don't exactly. see the same, even my students who are doing video, they can bring something in and be like, I want it to look like this. And they can kind of work a bit to make it happen. The audio cues and seeing how that works when you're looking at the editing or the background scenes, it's harder for them to see how it comes together. It's harder to explain to them how to put together, say, an audio documentary than it is a video yes. documentary. Once we get the elements yeah. there, they're good, but it you don't see it the same way. And mm-hmm. so I think going through that, and as you said, like learning from what works and what doesn't, you know, for you, whether it's how you run the interview or how you feel about it after, because that's the other thing too, is many people will podcast with no interest in their audience. And you can literally yeah. put anything you want out there if you really don't give a shit about the people who are listening, sure. enjoying it. But right? I just, and, and yeah. that's a big part for me. And that's been, you know, because it's like, it's really important for me to try. I don't even know if I've actually landed it yet, but it, it's always really important for me to try and make a connection with someone, you know, even if it is, yeah, sure. In a lot of ways, it ends up being just the connection I make with the guest, but that's really important to me, you know, but, mm-hmm. but I do want the audience to enjoy themselves. I do want it to be a satisfactory experience for them. I don't want them to waste their time, you know? And yeah, that thing of like, oh, I'm just going to make it and fuck you if you don't like me, like it. It's like, well, sure, I guess you could be like that, but like that's not. There's like uh, there should be hopefully a sweet spot in the middle, right? Because you do have yes. the element here. It's it's about the connection within your your actual interview. You know, that's the whole idea. I think of the of it, right? We're here to be friends and catch up, having been friends on Facebook or whatnot. But then there's yeah. also this artifact that stands afterwards of the conversation for others to have that fly on the wall experience or, you know, people who know you to see how different like your conversations with your other friends are. And so it's, it's that you're producing two different experiences, but hopefully that they, they come together and they're enjoyable on both ends. Exactly. Yeah. And it is, and it, and well, and it is actually you, that, that's a really, really interesting point that I'm, I'm, still trying to sort of tease out and figure out how exactly to actually highlight in a lot of ways is that it's this weird double it's a it's like a it's a double rainbow item you know because like (laughs) it's like the episode is a celebration of the guest and yet the show in a lot of ways is a profile of me you know like Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways it's it is creating this like narrative of my life you know and it's showing like you say these all all these facets and it's actually something that I feel really deeply frustrated with in our culture is this idea of like niches and you have to boil yourself boil yourself down to a niche and you can't possibly be interested in more than one thing otherwise the algorithm will punish you and hide your media from other people unless you're like all I do is comic books you know or all i do is talk about disney movies or whatever the fuck it is you choose like and i just have no interest in that you know like i i am i am a multifaceted person with a lot of interests in a lot of different directions you know and i am interested in people who are the same like i want to hear about how you like sports and movies and poetry and ex- i don't know whatever right you know all the shit you're into right i'm not interested in like oh i'm only into books and that's it. You know, like, fuck that. <laughs> like, that sucks. And and media now, social media especially, is so driven by niche and boiling down and simplifying and talking pointing. And I just like, yeah, yeah so I don't know how to navigate that, right? It's tricky because I also think that part of what will bring someone on to, like, trust you as an interviewer and as a personality is being kind of consistent at the beginning, sort of developing a bit of a yes. niche. But I will say that the people that I love for their niches, as soon as they start to go off niche, I'm kind of here for it. I'm like, oh, you want to post some social justice? You're not losing me as as a viewer yeah. or as a reader. I was like, oh, I, you know, you might be a cook, but you just showed me a really cool thing in your garden. And uh, I'm going to take that. I'm going to remember that for like my backyard garden, right? Yeah, so I think yeah. there's, it, it's hard to, it's sort of finding that balance between knowing what your core is and figuring out where you want to expand it. But then it's also tricky because, um, yeah, I, I guess from a marketing perspective, that's the thing that I don't do. And even when people hire me yeah. to work on their podcasts, I say, hire someone to do marketing and social media. <laughs> if you look at my Instagram, all you're going to see are cats, dogs, and things I bake. Like it's a mess. It's Mine is a thing. mess. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I need help with that. Oh my God. By the way, listeners, if anybody wants to help me out with like growing the brand, because 
I am hopeless at it. <laughs> um, do you do you do you have something else? I mean, I'm sure we could. We've only got one last section to chat about. But do you have a different, mm-hmm. like, a different question or anything? Yeah, and it's it's well, I guess it's sort of in the idea of your many facets. But otherwise, the question is mm. totally different. But I'm curious: is it one or two books of poetry that you've published over the pandemic? I feel like you've been very prolific in, in putting out creative works, and I'm really kind of curious about how you go about publishing or putting it out, and, and what sort of drives that. Oh yeah, they, well thank you. Um, it's 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 sort of like it's sort of three, but uh, one was intended as like a sampler, and then one was the what I thought was a full length, and then the third was them in a book plus a new little chat book inside. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's it's sort of three, but it's sort of like two and a half, let's say, you know. Um, and really that writing, that whole book butthead available through show notes on uh the episode if you just pull out your phone right now and click the link you can get your own copy um it is uh the culmination of like a decade over a decade of daily writing um i initially started by putting a challenge to myself to write a poem a day for a year and then that year came and went and i did another year and another year and another year and i ended up posting six years of daily writing and then I stopped doing that in public but I kept doing it to myself so I kept writing so I have, I have just journals and journals and journals books and books and books of, of filled with poetry that I um at the very top of the pandemic was just like sick of thinking of I was just sick of thinking I should do something with it you know and so I saw uh, a different poet who I was really inspired by put out a book that I was just like gobsmacked by. Um, it's called Road Warrior Hawk by Brian Allen Ellis, and it's fabulous. But it's just like it was really down to earth, really like like fun and fresh and new, and and it was like what I was writing. And so it was like, oh, there is somebody who's interested in this because this guy's publishing and he's interested and he's writing this and it's what I've been writing. So it was really like encouraging, you know? And so I just said, fuck it. And I just like put it, initially I just put it out as an ebook because that was the easiest and cheapest way. And it was the way I could just like get it out to people. Um, But then people were becoming sort of like resistant to that because they were, I don't know if it was, they were feeling ripped off by a $10 PDF. Um, or if they just actually wanted a physical copy of a book, I, you know, I'm, I'm sure it was an amalgamation of a few things. Well, but, if you're going to um, go to the effort of reading poetry, at least have something to show off on your bookshelf when your friends can finally come back. Right. <laughs> that's just it. You know what? I actually think that that is spot on. I think that that attitude is like, yeah, because like, you know, poetry is a pretty small niche, you know, like, um, and, and especially these days. And so, yeah, so I think it, you know, I needed to provide them an object right um that wasn't just on their phones so yeah i ended up biting the bullet and i i i kind of don't like this process but i ended up just self-publishing on on kindle like on amazon um i know there are are alternatives for self-publishing but they're really hard to make work and kindle Mm -hmm. just worked so i did it um but uh i have a new collection that i've that i've made that i'm um almost i've actually submitted to a pub- publisher uh and i should know by about september if they pick it up and if they do then all the work's done and if they don't i just have one last step to get it to physical and it, in a lot of ways it's like kind of good because uh then i get to keep more of the profit but um <laughs> but uh but yeah it's just that thing of like yeah i'm just i'm just always writing i it's it's a compulsion for me i just cannot not be writing and uh and these books came out when it was just like, like I said, I just, I needed them to be done and over with. I needed them published. I needed to not be telling myself, oh, you should be doing something with all this writing you have. <laughs> right. Um, um, and it's been fun. It's been really, you know, um, uh, you know, lots of really fun support and I support and, and I don't think a lot of my friends actually read poetry. So I don't think a lot of my friends have that much interest in that part of my life, which is fine. Totally fair. But uh, but they're all still very nice about it, which is which means a lot to me. <laughs> <laughs> as long as they like show that they care, whether or not they're super into yeah. it, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Right. You know, and you, you buy one every three or whatever it is. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I find it fascinating because I I try to have more of a daily writing 
element. I mean, a lot of my work involves reading and writing and a lot of editing of student work and doing revisions and working with students to get things to publication. So it's not that I'm not working with it daily, but I found the process of writing my book, one of the most intimidating things I've ever done. And it was, it was a lot. And so, you know, to see someone who's like, oh yeah, I just, I write every day and I put it together and I self-published it it is like, wow, (laughs) I'm, I think it's really cool. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It's, I mean, you're, you're spot on, but it is, I mean, for me, the reason it happened is because I did it every day. Right. And I didn't Mm -hmm. do much. Like, I'm not like, you know, I didn't sit down and write tons every day, but I made sure to do just, just do something every day. And then eventually there was enough to count. Right. (laughs) You know, and that's right. And, And that's become my whole thing of like, like, yeah, don't worry about how much you write. Just make sure that you write something every day. And, and you know, it'll eventually be worth it. Or it won't. Who cares? Whatever. We're going to die anyway. Fuck it. <laughs> talking about the show and talking about how it's developed and how it's shifted. Um, you know, as I've said before many times on the show, this really started as a bit of a joke. I just wanted to do a podcast so bad, and I felt like it was an easy way to get guests on, right? Is just say, you're my friend, be on here, you know? <laughs> um, but really, it's shifted and morphed into a really important part of my day and a part of my week in 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 exploring, you know, my past and my friendships and how I've shown up for my friends. And, um, you know, I continue to ask have I been a good friend, you know, and, and what does that even mean? Uh, and, and, and nowadays with, with how everything's going, what, what does it even mean to be a friend? And so I, I, I put to you a bit of a two-parter question here. Um, the first being, what does it mean to you to be a friend? And as a follow-up, what does it take to be a good friend today in the state of, <laughs> in the state of things? Yeah, that's tough. It's I've had a few conversations with friends over the pandemic that have either popped back in or just been a constant, you know, voice or communication. I as you've heard, I've lived in a lot of different places. Most of my best friends yeah. are not in Calgary, although I have some very yeah. good good and dear friends here as well. So, I think for me, the one thing that has always kind of been a constant is that friendships don't have to be limited by geography or or similar experience. You know how you might have friends at a job. Some might stick after you leave the job. Some might not. And that's fine. But I think that, you know, the biggest thing about being a friend is recognizing that the limitations are only really what you said on it. But I also think mm. that for me, what I really love about friendship is understanding that there can be room for you to not necessarily always be in contact, right? The best friends or friendships may have spaces and may have distances and you may come back to one of my best friends who's now in DC. We had a year in Ottawa where we tried living together and it did not work. And we didn't talk for like a year and a half. And it was funny because a few people are like, Oh, you're on the outs. And I was like, no, we're going to be friends again. We just needed a bit of distance after that. And she's still one of, one of my very best friends. And so I think understanding that, you know, um, the people that we care about most and what we have in common or not, there are times that may limit how we can be in touch. And there are other mm. factors that'll change. I think of my, I have a lot of friends now that have kids. I don't have kids at this point and I love their kids. Like I love being Auntie Meg, but it, we understand that it shifts how we hang out and how we do things. And they're part yeah. of our gang now. We have to incorporate them and that's fine because it's still fun. And so I think for me, you know, part of, you know, what's being a good friend is understanding that your friendship will change and shift and it doesn't have to look like how it did. And if anything, it's probably going to look better, you know, and more interesting down the line with those changes. Yes. And, and the other thing, I guess, coming back to what it takes to be a good friend these days is I think acknowledging that or talking to other people like friends and seeing where they're at and what they want. But the one thing I've heard from a couple of friends is I'm, I'm really good on like text and messaging and stuff. I've always Mm -hmm, been pretty mm -hmm. consistent on that, but I've had a few friends over the pandemic uh, just say, you know, thank you for being there. Like when you say you're going to be there, you're there. Thank you for responding to my messages when I need to talk to someone and, and thanks for understanding that presence. And, you know, for me, I'm saying the same thing. I'm like, you know, you're there when I have a weird question or something I want to talk about. And it always manifests itself in little things, right? Like sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know, it's my friends that are doing a house reno and they know that I've done a kitchen reno and they had questions for me and it's getting back to them knowing that they have to talk to a contractor quickly, right? Like those types of things. But, but, you know, it's not so much about, oh, here, let me talk to you about, you know, 
the deep dive I did on stainless steel kitchen sinks two years ago and share that knowledge. It's more like <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. going to make time in my day to get that to you because I know it matters to you and it matters to me that, that you have that. Right. So yeah. I think it's, um, I think it's, it's not that it has to be constant communication, but it's understanding when, when you need to be there and when you need to show up and, and that can be physically or can be, per, but you know, especially with the pandemic, I, I think there are a lot of times that um, even just that remote reach out, is really important. Just reminding people that you're there and you care about it. And even if you spend five minutes, like making jokes about some, like the latest episode of RuPaul, and then, you know, they have kids and they have to run off and you're not going to hear from them for three weeks, that there's always that possibility to come back and just check in whenever you need to. Oh, I love that so much. And I, and I love that, like, I love that sentiment and I, and I'm hearing it a lot from a lot of people and I'm trying to amplify it as much as possible is just like, be, be there when you can, you know, because like sometimes you can't be the one who can mm-hmm. be there, but like, you know, be there when you can. And and like it's almost like you don't have to make it heavy that you're available. Right. Like it's like and in a lot of ways, like so, for instance, like I really encourage everyone to just say I love you to everyone because I find the reason we're hesitant about it is because there's a weight to it, right? There's a there's a heaviness to like, oh, but if I love you, then it means that like either it's like an intimate, you know, sexual relationship or it's like a family. And like, I can't possibly love people who I don't have aims of sleeping with or something, you know? Or, and, and it's you like, know, someone who raised me. Yeah. Yeah, right. Exactly. Right. You know, or both. I don't know. Yeah. Whatever. Whatever floats your boat, you know, but, <laughs> but it's like, it's like, um, but if we if we started vocalizing our love for each other, then it would do two things. It would remove the stigma and the weight of it, but it would it wouldn't remove the specialness. And in fact, it would actually amplify the specialness and it would make more people feel loved, which is what they should feel, you know? And and I feel like that's the same thing of like just being there and making it making it easy to be there. Um, and not being like, look at how good a friend I am. I'm always available to you, but just being available when you are. And if you're not cool, you know, like, yeah. And I think just, yeah, meet, meeting people where they're at on both sides. I think they're, Bingo. and I think not taking it too personally when someone maybe can't be there for you at that time. Right. And, and that's challenging yes. right now. Um, as we're sort of navigating everyone's personal stuff is how they're figuring out the pandemic and everything else too. Mm-hmm. But it, it can be tough. I think it's hard not to have hurt feelings if there's someone that you, you want to be there and they're not. But I think yes. it's it's also, you know, keeping in mind, mind that just because it's not there now doesn't mean it won't be there later. And maybe it won't be, who knows? Yeah. But, you know, it, it if you close it down, if you decide that you've been hurt by that action or inaction and say, we're not friends anymore, then it totally cuts everything off, right? So. Yep, yep. exactly. Oh, Meg, I am so glad to have met you you are fabulous and i just like i'm so i'm so thankful that you know you met you met anton so that i could meet you and and uh, you know you both look so happy and this new house looks so cool and you've got all your you've got all your eyeless cats and eyeless cats and then we adopted a dog we went like full pandemic we bought a house and we got a dog and now our house is so full of pets it's we have a menagerie now just a little one Oh my so, God, I yeah. love it so much. I <laughs> love it so it's much. It's funny because when you added me on Facebook, I remember this would have been like a while ago now, but I remember mm-hmm. I didn't add you because I knew you were doing this podcast. And then yeah. you added me. And I remember looking at Anton and I'm like, I don't I don't want to slight your friend and I like James. I'm like, but now this means I'm going to have to be on the show, right? And he's like, that's just Yeah, it. probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all part of the plan. Oh, man. Well, speaking of, we have one last thing we've got to do. So mm-hmm. I'm going to pull up your facebook here we go Perfect. meg wilcox and i need to pull enough, you up because this no, how this works no no it's yeah. a one-way thing uh, the <laughs> funny thing is we have the best part is you have all these photos of anton but we have no mutual friends because i've already unfriended him yeah this is going to be the last family connection to your facebook account yeah exactly here we go meg wilcox we are no longer facebook friends Wow. It's funny. I had the chat still open where you'd sent me the link and before it said active now, and then it immediately went off. I now can't know when you're active on Facebook.
that's it. Thanks again to Meg for coming on the show. I hope we can finally get to Calgary soon to see her and her sweet boo, Anton. But first, all these mouth breathers are going to need to start acting like we're not suddenly back in 2019 and nothing about the world is different. But that is a can of worms that I'm not opening right now. So I'll just dance over to reminding you, if you haven't yet, please sign up for my monthly newsletter. I'm working on actually expanding it to feature even more book reviews, article recommendations, and exclusive writing from yours truly. So sign up through the show notes and enjoy. And while you're there, why not grab your copy of Butthead while you can? I promise you will like it, and then you'll have a cool poetry book on your shelf. And everybody digs cool poetry books on shelves. Trust me, I have too many of them. And everyone loves me, right? (laughs) If you want to get a hold of me, shoot me an email at friendlesspod at gmail.com or follow me on all the social medias at friendlesspod. I'm trying really hard to maintain a consistent output on all these, but... To be honest, it's been a really rough month and I am struggling to keep up. So just, you know, bear with me. (laughs) And on that high note, why don't we wrap it up before I accidentally burst into tears? So I'll just say thank you for listening and I hope to catch you here next week. But I'm going to do my best not to worry about that because, of course, that is then and this is now. So for now, I'll just say I love you and I wish you well. Fun and safety, sweeties.